Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, I was out in Colorado uh, with a veteran outdoorsman who taught me a phrase in Swahili. I want to teach it to you this morning. The phrase in Swahili is pole pole, P-O-L-E with the little uh, accent, P-O-L-E, pole pole. Now, I myself am more of an avid indoorsman. I ended up in the Colorado backcountry with a group of Anglican clergy for several days. Um, I was a little surprised to be there. Honestly, I had been battling a lingering case of COVID with extreme fatigue, uh, brain fog, and uh, the group actually made some adjustments so that I could be part of things. We got out to camp, and we woke up after the first night for a hike. It's probably about a mile what our guide told us, to hike from our campsite up to Lake Anne near the Continental Divide and the Rockies. We were in the Collegiate Mountains, if you know that part of Colorado. And I figured, you know what, I can do that. I mean, any one of us can do anything for a mile, right? You could hop off the couch, we could do a mile, we'll make it work, no problem. Um, I had not exercised since June because of COVID, but hey, this will go great. And uh, honestly, the first few miles of our one-mile hike were great. (laughs) I did better than expected. Um, And we were moving along, uh, and then we started to ascend. We started to ascend, and after a few more miles of our one-mile hike, um, I started struggling and, and taking breaks and needing to rest and the guide we were with us, a guy named Chuck Chickowitz, he founded a Noah's Ark Outfitters, if you know that rafting company, probably 40 plus years ago. Um, and he was understanding and he was encouraging and he was going to make sure that I finished the hike. So I said, hey, I want to teach you something in Swahili. It is pole, pole. So when I was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, this is the mantra of the mountain, pole, pole, which just means slowly, slowly. He looked at me and said, we've got to find the right pace. A slow, very slow, almost embarrassingly slow, and it was embarrassingly slow, pace that you can stick with rather than going and starts and stops and taking breaks. Pole, pole, slowly, slowly. And so with his encouragement, I was able to finish Uh, That hike, we made it up to the mountain. It was beautiful. Most of the team was fly fishing. We took in the sights. Um, It was incredible. Um, Luckily, going back down, I'm a little better at going down. Gravity is helpful (laughs) in that sense. Um, And we got back down on our one-mile hike. Um, uh, Our Archbishop Foley Beach was with us on the trip, and he was obsessive about his Fitbit, and how many steps he was taking. And so we said, Archbishop, how, how far was that? And he goes, I don't know, but we are well over 20,000 steps. Um, and we reached about 13,000 feet in altitude. We had about a 2,500 feet climb. Um, and I don't know the exact ratio of steps to miles, but suffice it to say, we went further. 
then it's probably about a mile. <laughs> um, they, they later said, oh, that says the crow flies. <laughs> Great. Um, now, I learned a lot on that trip to Colorado. I'm still unpacking some of it. Um, I think I'm still unpacking, actually. Um, but also, I had some great time with the Lord. Great fellowship with these other brothers. Uh, but that phrase, pole, pole, slowly, slowly will stick with me. Uh, not just for you know, hiking or, or running. Um, I already do that slowly enough. But for the Christian life. What's the right pace you can go at where it won't be in fits and starts, but you can continue to run uh, the race of faith? And over and over again, I came to Hebrews 12, I just chuckled when I saw the reading for this week, because um, over and over again in the New Testament, uh, the Christian life is compared to a long run, a marathon, uh, which seems close enough to a grueling hike for pole pole to apply. Especially since our passage next week, we end up on a mountain. We're in Hebrews 12 this morning, and uh, if you're not familiar with Hebrews, um, this is an ancient sermon. Uh, it's an ancient sermon we have in the New Testament. It's written to encourage a church uh, to keep going when it was ready to quit, to keep going when it was ready to quit. And our passage, Hebrews 12, 1 through 14, uh, grabs this idea of running and applies many lessons uh, to Christian faithfulness over the long haul. Um, again, it's most like an ancient sermon, and here uh, the ancient preacher is starting to give some application, some practical application. Hebrews is a mix of encouragement, instruction, and command. I can imagine my grizzled mountain guide, Chuck, giving this sermon. Um, and this is basically about the finish line of the summit. What is this all about, the Christian life? What are we running towards? Uh, what does the finish line look like for the person of faith? How do we start well, run well, and finally finish well? And here, well done, uh, good and faithful servants. Let's look at Hebrews 12 uh, this morning, the idea of running the race of faith. And I really do think these uh, first two verses um, are probably the centerpiece of this entire book. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Um, I mean, this congregation, they are facing many things. Uh, first, they're facing external persecution. They're being pressured and persecuted for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, secondly, we learn through the rest of the book, they're facing internal doubt. Can we do this? Is it true? Should we keep going? And there's this magnetic pull of their past. Um, and it could be their past culture, their past sin, maybe even their family um, that somehow is calling them back away from following Jesus. And with all of those challenges, the preacher's exhortation is simple. Let us run the race that is set before us. Let us run the race set before us, and then we're going to see uh, motivation and manner and reason and means to run that race, to persevere and finish it, even if you have to go uh, pole pole, very slowly, slowly, Look at these two verses. They're incredible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a lot going on in these first two verses. Uh, first, the preacher reminds this congregation that they have an audience, that they're running in full view of a cheering crowd, the great cloud of witnesses. Um, if you look back, Hebrews 11, we didn't focus on this last week, but it's all about the hall of faith. The folks who followed the Lord ahead of us, they're all cheering. They're all watching. Uh, those we know who die in the Lord, they're cheering. They're watching this great cloud of witnesses. Um, it's just an encouragement. Even if we feel isolated and alone, we're not. There's this cloud of witnesses watching and cheering. Um, and then quickly we hear about, I just think, the gear. Here's what you need to run this race. Um, and I love this because even in the first century, runners apparently love to talk about gear. <laughs> what you need, what you don't need. Have you ever looked at a Runner's World magazine? The whole thing is about gear, how it affects and enhances performance. Uh, the group I was with out in Colorado, man, they loved gear. Hiking gear, camping gear, uh, poles, all kinds of stuff I had never seen. Um, and again, we were with these guys who have been doing this 40 plus years and I have to say, uh, Deacon Joe, let me borrow some gear. I like gear. He likes gear as well. <laughs> and there's this one piece of gear. I'm just going to tell you about it. I'm going to brag on it. Um, it looks like a flat plate, and it snaps up into a bowl. It's very fancy. It could be a plate. It could be a bowl. It could be a cup. It's a multi-use flexible plastic thing. And Chuck, our grizzled old mountain goat, when I pulled it out, I was like, oh, some nice gear. <laughs> Let me see that. He had never seen that. Joe, you don't understand the high praise of Chuck Chickowitz uh, being fascinated by your gear. It gave me instant credibility that I did not deserve. <laughs> um, I'm, again, an avid indoorsman. But anyways, um, if you're going to run, if you're going to hike, if you're going to fish, if you're going to go to school, whatever it is, you need the right gear, the right stuff, right? Um, and runners, hikers, you're going to wear only what's essential. You want the gear that's going to maximize performance, um, and you're going to have the minimal amount of gear to maximize speed. In the first century, the gear was very um, invisible. Let's say they, they ran in the buff. That was what they figured out was the fastest way to do things. I don't recommend that today. Uh, but that's what they did, and that makes a little bit of sense where this preacher says, hey, you need to actually um, get rid of some things. You need to strip down. You've got sin clinging uh, closely. Now, imagine if, if I tried to run in this. I'm going to trip. I'm going to fall all over myself. They're like, no, 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 you are tripping yourself up uh, with your sin that clings closely. If you're going to run the race of faith, you need the right gear. And part of that is the pursuit of holiness and a removal of sin. It's very clear. Uh, the sin that you have that you don't think is a big deal is weighing you down, tripping you up, and making things harder. And you're making things harder on yourself. Um, I mentioned we went out, we were five days in the back country of Colorado. And uh, it was interesting. The night before we left, they had us put all of our gear that we were going to pack on our beds. 
and then we had our packs, and they had these weights. And their team came around, and the first thing they said was, whatever's on your bed, if there's two, take one. And they cut everyone's load in half. Because they said, we're going to be carrying this on our backs for miles. Um, and what you think is, oh, this is just one more of this. It's not a big deal here. You're going to feel it when you're on the trail. I thought, man, how often do we have a little sin, a little pet thing that we're like, hey, we'll just keep it around, put it in the pack, we'll carry it with us, and you're going to feel it on the trail. The preacher says, no, get rid of that sin. Get rid of what clings so closely and trips you up for this race. Later in verse 14, you see the same emphasis on holiness. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Take radical steps to lay aside your sin, just like you would get ready to go run. There's an intentionality to this, and there's a decision where you decide to lay these things aside. Um, and there's endurance that's in view. Again, we're not just running. We're running with endurance. It's not a sprint. This is for the long haul. And building that kind of endurance takes time. Um, the life of faith, when I was younger, I thought it was just this instant decision we made for the Lord, and then we're done. But as you grow, you go, no, this is a lifelong orientation of following Jesus. We have to figure out the pace that helps us go uh, for the long haul. It's going to be difficult. Here at the end of this passage, it says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. Um, the idea is that we will at some point probably hit a wall. You're going to want to stop. You're going to say, I don't get it. I don't get the trail. I don't know why we're even doing this. So that's when you need to focus. That's when you need to be encouraged. That's when you need to know there's something broader in mind that the Lord is doing, even if we don't see it in the moment. And he says the best way to do that, uh, you can have the right gear. You can build endurance. You can hit the wall. He says, remember, you're not doing this on your own. If I had been put in the collegiate mountains of Colorado on my own, you would never have seen me again. I needed an experienced guide who knew the route. He knew how to encourage me. He knew what we needed for the journey. And Hebrew says we have that. <laughs> we have that in, in, in many ways. One, um, there's this great cloud of witnesses. And we can take note of the race that they ran. And we can learn from it. And we can see uh, how there's similarities to what God is calling us to. Um, and he goes, hey, this might be, you know, some of those folks, their race. Well, it, it's not like they had a finish line and grabbed some bananas. And no, they, many of these were martyred. He actually tells them, hey, you have not uh, yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. In other words, like this can get hard. Don't let anyone fool you on that. Chapter 12, verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then for Hebrews, the key to all of this is focusing on the finish line and focusing on the first finisher, the Lord Jesus. Again, it's kind of fun to think about the intersections of running and hiking and this race, to, to think about it imaginatively. 
But again, what they say is you have a guide that's gone ahead of you that you can focus on. Just focus on uh, that finish line. So if you look back, uh, what they say in verse 2 is key for this race, that we look to Jesus. We focus on Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him has run the entire race for us. That's what that means. Say, when you don't know the way, when you don't know if you can keep going, you look to Jesus. You focus on him. You draw encouragement from him. And where is the Lord? Where is the Lord Jesus? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, our finish line, the summit that we're going towards, the end, the finishing the race, again, it's not a banana and a a bottle of water. It's the very presence of God Almighty. And we look to Jesus there and we follow Jesus there. I'm mindful of, in the book of Acts, one of the first martyrs, Stephen, who's a deacon. He's the first deacon of the church. And as he's martyred, he looks up and he sees the Lord Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His race was not ending in a pleasant manner, but it was going right where it was supposed to because he was going to the very presence of God Almighty. It's interesting. How many folks here have have done any running in the past? All right, I'm going to share. Believe it or not, I have a long history of running. Uh, It's been a while because of those weak knees that Hebrews talks about. Uh, But I want to tell you a trick if you are running or doing a race that I think actually is interesting to think about here. Uh, There's a trick in cross-country running or any racing that's called point-to-point. You know this trick? Point-to-point. It's where if there's a huge curve in the road or you see something moving, you try to figure out, all right, what's the straightest line? Ignoring that, what's the shortest amount I can run from this point to that point? I'm not as worried about the curve or how people are moving. How can I maximize going that direction? Or if you see someone in front of you that you want to pass, There's an old trick they teach you. It's called the fishing line. Um, You just kind of mentally throw out a fishing line. You start reeling yourself in. (laughs) Get closer and closer towards them, and then you eventually pass them. Um, And again, those are little running tricks and secrets, but I just think about it here because we're we're just fixed on the Lord Jesus. Uh, Whatever the curve, and, and the curve of our life can go all over the place. We say, what's the straight path the Lord is calling me to? Um, when I'm trying to speed up, when I, when I can't, okay, just focus on the Lord Jesus. Lock that in. And a lot of the, that is mental to do so, but you lock in um, and you look up and you look to him. That's important because what we're more tempted to do is look down at our feet. To be concerned with us, to make sure we're not going to trip. He says, no, look to Jesus. Look up. Keep your head up and focus on him. Run towards him. We can be too self-focused in what we're doing. Um, And the other thing is that Jesus here says that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Um, There's another translation that says he's the trailblazer. Where there was no path, he made one. And we follow him. We, We chart, okay, how did he go? How did he do that? When we were out on the trail in Colorado, there were some streams and things we had to pass and little rocks, and you just look to see, okay, the people who know what they're doing, where are they going? How are they navigating this terrain? You just follow right behind them. 
Hebrews says we do the same thing with the Lord Jesus. We see how he's navigated things. We, we follow right behind him. Rather than a, a navel-gazing self-focus on our own feet, we look to Jesus. We look to his path. Um, and we've joined really this great throng, this great group that's running the race of faith. And, and he's run ahead. We can follow his footsteps. And I think really that just brings me to a question. As you think about your race of faith or just your life, are, are you trying to chart your own course? Are you trying to go at your pace? Are you trying to blaze your own trail? Or are you trying to follow Jesus' course? Go at the pace he calls you to. Following his trail and pursuing that goal. There's an author named Philip Carey. He wrote a book called Good News for Anxious Christians. Good book. He says, we belong to our beloved. And we will not find who we really are by looking at our lives first and then trying to fit Christ into them. That gets things backwards. It says, true self-knowledge begins by locating ourselves in Christ's story. Knowing ourselves as one of those for whom he came and died and rose again so that Christ lives in us. And that's the order. We first find ourselves in Christ and then Christ lives in us. We run the race he has set before us and we find that he's running it within us and giving us the strength uh, to do so. Um, and so I, I want to just close by sharing uh, something personal today. Um, you see, during, I, I've kind of talked about this trip to Colorado, and uh, it was an impactful trip for me. Um, we had a great time hiking, enjoying fellowship. It's beautiful. Uh, but we had time for silence and solitude and Bible study and prayer. Um, and I'll tell you, there's nothing like, um, <laughs> I was going to say switching off your technology. <laughs> Um, there's nothing like going on airplane mode for five days to actually improve your attentiveness and tune your ear to what God might be saying to you. Um, and as soon as I got off and I was alone and the noise came down, um, what I realized was, man, I've got something I need some healing from. Uh, many of you know, several years ago, uh, my dad died suddenly, unexpectedly. Um, and I just realized, man, there is still just this uh, knot of pain and grief flowing out of that. Um, and really just felt the invitation from the Lord, um, hey, we can deal with that here. Um, we, can, we can lance that wound and bring a remarkable amount of healing. And thanks be to God, I was able to do that. Uh, to spend time in prayer and process that. There was a bishop on the trip, uh, Trevor Walters, an incredible a counselor who just sat and cried and prayed and helped me process some things and really find a remarkable amount of, of healing uh, and, and steps forward uh, to say goodbye in a, in a healthy way. Um, and I would just say that uh, grief is hard and mysterious work. Um, and I was, I was kind of looking back on it, and I said, you know, it felt almost like part of me had been paralyzed to an extent. Or, or like I had been trying to run or hike with a rock in my shoe. 
just always there, just that kind of, you know, picking at it. Um, and the Lord was able to take that rock away. Uh, to release that paralysis as I was able to kind of release uh, my dad finally. Um, and it just, it, it occurs to me, I want to, I really just one bear testimony. Um, if you've got something that's nagging and hurting and hard, the Lord can deal with that. Um, it may not be the right time for you, uh, if that was the right time for me, uh, but think about how you can spend time in prayer. Uh, talk with a trusted friend. Uh, tune your ear to the Lord's voice by reading the scriptures. Uh, maybe go take a walk, get alone uh, with God's good creation and see how he might want to heal you and know that he can and that he's there ready to do so. Again, God met me um, and he delights to meet people, doesn't he? He delights to meet you as well. So I don't know if that hits home. I don't know what the timing is. I don't know what you're going through. But there may be something today, especially maybe starting this kind of new year, that God wants to deal with in your life. Maybe a rock in your shoe that you've been walking around with, a besetting sin, or a past grief, or a trauma. And I just want to give testimony that our good God is willing, able, and ready to help you with whatever is making your run harder as you run the race of the Christian life. And you can find freedom. And you can find healing. And you can start running again at the right, sustainable, healthy pace, focused on the Savior. Or running from a place of grace and assurance and gratitude, even if it's pole pole. Slowly, slowly, my friends. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.